if you look on the front of your bulletins, you'll see a graphic that says the story behind the story. And we've been looking at that story with a pretty close um, uh, uh, scrutiny as far as how it is that the book of Genesis in the first 11 chapters sets the tone for everything else that happens in the rest of the Bible. A lot of people... Love to rave about the good news, but I know sometimes people are asking the question, what is so good about the good news? What actually is the bad news that happened that required us to need some good news? And uh, everything in between. And if you were ever curious to know why it is that we need the gospel as far as the Bible defines it, you don't have to go any farther than Genesis 1 through 11. It really sets everything up for the rest of the Bible. And as we've gone through the different stories, you know they're pretty epic. From the creation of the world to uh, the first couple, Adam and Eve, to the fall where they disobeyed God and they followed another voice and have been struggling to make sense of that voice and God's voice ever since. There was uh, acts of rebellion that have happened in the course of the telling, uh, beginning with the, the very children of Adam and Eve. And then we have bizarre passages of scripture emerge where, it talks about um, the sons of God marrying the daughters of men and the, the Nephilim or the giants that came out of that. And then it gets even more extreme through the resetting of everything that God has created by a global flood that destroys everything. And as we're reading through these things, God is telling you and I, embedded in these stories are the reason why I've needed to send my son into your world, into our world. And as God is working on that whole process of re-engaging our hearts and minds, he's respecting something about us that I think we have, to, we, have to, we have to remember. And that is God made us so that we would have free will. We could make our own decisions about what we wanted to do and what we don't want to do. And if it was any other way, the relationships that we'd have would be ones where he forced us into a relationship and said, you will love me, you will obey me, you will serve me. But God isn't that kind of a God. He made us so that we could decide. And if you've ever been in a relationship with someone, you know that when they, when they come at you with, a, with a, a desire to be a friend or to, to know you and to love you, and you come to them in that same posture, that that is where true relationships begin to flow and emerge. But if a relationship is only happening because it's coerced, it's not a genuine relationship. But any time you allow somebody to make their own choices about how it is they're going to relate to you, it's dangerous and risky. And God gave us that opportunity to walk into that danger when he said, you know, you can do whatever you want, but you do not eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, it will wreck the whole conversation that we're having. And they did, and it did. And as Genesis unfolds from that moment, it is people making up their own minds to do things their own way with its own set of bad consequences that we see happening in those 11 chapters. God saw it get so horrific in how it was that we had gone off the rails in our ability to make decisions that he, he, he destroyed it. But then he said, I'm not going to do it again. We're going to start over with Noah and his family. Well, 
All of that leads up to what we're going to look at today with the Tower of Babel. Uh, if you've been in church for any length of time or even in popular culture, there have been stories about this legendary tower that people were trying to build so they could, so they could reach God. And it is a time-worn tale of man trying to invent his own pathway to God. And I just want to stop right here for a second and, and, and set something else up as well. I want to make a difference in this message between religion, that is a way of relating to your version of God based on performance. How well you can do whatever the expectations of that God is in order to achieve some kind of a relationship. And many religions are premised on the idea that if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, if you do the right things long enough, if you perform the right rituals in the right way uh, over, over time, that deity may or may not shine favor down upon your life. And every other religion, so to speak, that is apart from what we experience in this room, functions that way. It is trying to do my best so that somehow God will meet me somewhere. Then there's Christianity. And it is God's way of saying, I don't want all that performance stuff. What I want to do is I want to reveal myself to you by coming into your world and becoming part of who you are and revealing myself in the form of a man so that you can understand that I love you that much, that I want to be a part of your world that much, that I, I know, God would say to us, that you are not able to meet me through your own capabilities, that, that you make mistakes, that you have decisions that you regret, that you do things that offend me. God gets all of that and he says, you know what, despite all of that, I want to be a part of your world anyway. And I have allowed that to happen through something called grace. And that grace, which is embodied on a bloodstained cross, is God's way of telling us, I've revealed myself to you in the form that you can relate to well. And I've allowed myself to go through the same kind of pain and injustice and ultimately execution that defines your world and its pain and its fear. And on the other side of it, I came out victorious so that you can as well. That's the kind of God that we worship. And that, by that definition, is not religion. It is just God saying, I want to meet you and connect with you. The problem isn't so much God, it's us being open to receiving him and allowing him to begin to work in our lives. Now, all that, all that to go to the Tower of Babel. But before I get there, I, I, wanna, I, I want you to know something. That God, as he revealed himself, has given us a mandate to be fruitful, to multiply, and to just spread the goodness of humanity throughout all of creation. That's what originally Adam and Eve were supposed to do. It was a good thing, and it was by design, um, uh, the way that God said, I've made the earth for you to enjoy. I've made the earth and everything that is attendant to it, the plants, the animals, everything. I want you to be in charge of it. I want you to discover what's in it. I want you to enjoy it and find the fullness of the beauty of my creation. And then there is, there's the Tower of Babel. 
where something weird happens because people are saying, we want to do it our way. And without going into it any further, if you want to follow, you can look at Genesis chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 8. And these are the verses that we see there. In light of everything God's called us to do, to go out and to become who he's created us to become in relationship with him, when people decide that they want to they sort of Photoshop God out of the picture and do it their own way, this is what we see in Genesis chapter 11. Let's go ahead and show that. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of a stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth and we don't want that. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people that the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them over all the earth and they stopped building the city. And that is why it is called Babel because there there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now as I'm reading that, I know a lot of you have had the same questions that I've had coming into it. And that is, you know, why, why did God do that? Why did God interrupt their building project? Is it wrong to build buildings? Is it wrong to consolidate everything under one heading in a city? And the fact of the matter is, none of those things are wrong. It's how they approach them that was wrong. They approached them without any reference to God so that these things would be a monument to themselves. And God said, that's not going to work. And the upshot was, he just scattered everybody and languages and everything that differentiates us as human beings began to take hold in language and cultures and places around the world. And as God looks at it, he's saying, that is beautiful. It is awesome to see all the diversity that is out there. And God has made us in such a way that we each in our own place on the planet reflect his image and his likeness. But he's also made us so that the expression of who we are as people in those regions is different from place to place to place. And God just thrives on that. As you look around us in this very verdant part of northeastern Ohio, you know that more rain equals more growth. And some of you may be saying, yeah, and more lawns to mow. But if you get off your mower for a second and you and you and you and you blow the blow, blow all the allergies out of your nose and you get a clear view and you say oh but it's so beautiful all of these flowers and all of these trees and all of this uh, vast array of of diversity that go to to demonstrate just how creative our God is and God loves that He loves things that um, show that diversity in their own right. And even in this room, as God looks at each of you, he says, I've made each of you in my image and in my likeness. However, each of you are different in a lot of ways that makes you a very unique person in your own right. 
And God enjoys that as well. But the problem is, when we take God out of the picture, then our differences become reasons for antagonism. Now I can just say, I I can say a word even in this room, and I know it would churn up antagonism. What what if I said Donald Trump? There, there, There are probably, given the number of people in here, each of you has your own take on who he is, and my guess is, Uh, It could be vastly different from person to person. But if I say the word Jesus the Messiah, then most of us would say, yeah, we all kind of agree on who he is. And that's the greater thing because there are people on this earth that we look to as leaders. There are ideas that we look to as philosophies or political ideas. But in the scheme of things, God says none of those really are significant compared to who I am, who Jesus is, and how my kingdom works. And the only way that a church with all the diversity that's in it can begin to function in a healthy way is for all of us to agree that Jesus is Lord, but also agree to respect the diversity of who we are. The Apostle Paul writes about that when he speaks about gifts. He says, each of you has a unique capability that you bring to the body and the whole body benefits from the diversity of those capacities so that in the end we're all elevated and that's the way God wanted it. But this group of people constructed a religion that was centered around the notion that we're going to make a monument to our accomplishment and we're going to make our name great and then we're going to we're going to have a deity at the top of this uh, monument that represents our ideas. And so they kind of were just making God in their own image. Now if I just want to stop for a second and say that isn't that kind of what we do? We can't help ourselves, can we? Unless Jesus is in the equation, we're kind of making up our own ideas about who we think God is and it's convenient or it works for a while until it doesn't work. And God says, you're going to do that until, until, until I'm in the picture. Until I'm part of your everyday experience. Until I'm invited into your home. And then you're going you're gonna to be able to take all the confusion that you're living in. All the confusion that was created out of that moment. And you're going to discover some clarity. All of that scatteredness that you're feeling in your soul... All that scatteredness that's happening in your relationship with the people that you love and the people that you don't. And God says, when I'm in the equation, it's all going to sort of come together in a meaningful way. But those guys wanted to do it their way. And as a result of that, God said, that'll never work. The, the, the moment that they align everyone according to their vision of who they think they need to be, is the moment that everything starts to fall apart. Now, I mentioned, I mentioned the diversity of God's creation a minute ago. And I, I have a son that is really big into gardening, which you've heard me talk about. His name's Christian. 
And um, my wife and I have been spending the better part of the week doing his gardening because he's found it convenient in his own social life to find ways to get out of gardening. And now he's just left the country. Uh, last week on a Saturday, he flew out uh, of, of the country to a place called Uzbekistan. And on his way there, um, we didn't hear from him for two days. And we were wondering, living in some degree of fear, whether or not he was going to be okay. And then, and, then, and, then, and then we see this, just a picture of how he's doing. This shows up. And then I added the text on there because he seems to be going all over the place all the time. But he's a landscape architect doing research, and somehow he's managed to find the funding from the Ohio State University to do research in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and some other stand that I can't even remember. And there he is saying, it's all good, it's all good. I'm, uh, I, I'm enjoying my life here. And he showed another picture. And this is a place where I'm staying. It's a hostel, which means it's an it's a Airbnb type of thing. And as uh, I'm looking at the architecture, I'm saying, those are different people on the other side of the world. Is he safe? Because most of the pictures I look at that come through a television screen say, it is a dangerous place out there. It is an unsafe place out there. And strange people are chances are weirdos who are going to inflict harm on you. But the reality is, as God looks at the world, he sees that there are people that have a whole industry premised on making us afraid, whether they want to sell us pharmaceutical goods or whether they want to create an army to fight a, an opponent. And this group of people that do that have a way of managing their wealth and their power uh, to such a degree that as long as they can keep us fearful of threats, then they can stay in control. And the reason why the people were trying to build this, were on board with building this Tower of Babel, is they were disconnected from God, and they were living in fear that there would be threats from out there, so they didn't want to scatter and go to the places that God wanted them to go, to be fruitful, multiply. They just wanted to stay and circle the wagons and try to make it as safe as they possibly could, while those at the top of the food chain just wanted to keep them in fear. And God says, no, that's not the way, that's not the way it's going to work. And I can assure you that there are dangerous things out there. But I can also assure you in looking at that picture that most of the people that you run into on the planet are people pretty much like you and I. They want to just have a decent life. They want to live in peace. And they want to do uh, the very things that we want to do. Have, uh, get married, have children, have extended relationships, be a part of a community. All of those things that are just instinctively wired into us. And yet, we live in a time and an era, just like back then, where a small group of powerful interests consolidate their resources and their wealth so that they can control how we think based on media. They can control what we, what we need and what we don't need based on manipulation of fear. And all of those things have people wringing their hands. Did you know it just came out that suicide right now is at an all-time high in our country? But also noted alongside that is the lack of church attendance is at an all-time high as well. And yet somewhere there's a lie that says church is bad and what we're selling you is good. But Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. And the fruit of a life lived in perennial fear 
is, is the undoing of our humanity. It is constantly worrying, constantly wandering, constantly uncertain, and constantly second-guessing. And when God saw the Tower of Babel starting to happen, he knew that it would just break down our humanity. But Towers of Babel have been been constructed in different places in different times um, over the course of history, even to the point today where, where, where they're still being made. I showed you a couple of pictures of, of Christian and, and, the, um, and, and, and his experience. Uh, but one of the things that um, he's involved in in landscape architecture is that he's kind of a student of architecture as well. And there is a 16th century um, artist named Peter uh, Grubel who wrote, who, who basically drew the, this medieval depiction of the Tower of Babel. I want to show it to you real quick. And in this picture, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. But if you look at it real closely, it is, it is, it is beautiful and horrific all at once. It's got features that if you look at it up close in large scale, you see some very intriguing aspects of the building. And off to the side, off to the one side, you see a castle. And off to the other side, you see a city that the tower is leaning towards. You see traders coming in. And you see all, of a, all this hive of activity of human beings doing a variety of things in celebration of that tower. And as this great humanistic effort of, of, of basically creating a monument to, to, the, to the God of, of, the, of, of, of a powerful human being or human beings united together for a purpose. You end up with a monstrosity like that. And for a lot of people, that means security. That means purpose. And as the artist is doing each of the features of it, and you'll see as you look at it closely, there's a whole lot more. What you find is some pretty magnificent things happening, but underneath all of that is just futility. Because at the end of the day, we're building this tower, we're doing these things, so what? It really doesn't matter. Because it doesn't have an eternal purpose. And in the end, it's just selfish. And that desire to do that has been the desire of, of men and women throughout history who have been disconnected from God, who have tried in some kind of religious performance way to build some kind of, of a temple in their own making that will give them a reason for living, significance. And did you know before the European Union started cracking up, um, they actually uh, established a European parliament with the philosophy that one day we hope that this parliament will just be a governing body for all of the world. That all of the boundaries that are there, all the countries that are differentiated, all of those will just fade away. And we'll just have a one world operation. And everybody can kind of speak, speak, speak the same language and hear the same voice and do the same things that they're told to do or encouraged to do. And um, this is the building that uh, they created in Europe for that. Interesting, isn't it, how all the architecture kind of echoes what we just saw. And so the more things ch uh, change, the more they stay the same, even to the point where the architecture says the same thing. But there are a lot of people who are like, no, we don't want 
one small group of people. Some people would call them the deep state. They might call them uh, the globalist, you know, in, in, in current language, who have all the wealth and all of the power and believe that they've got all the right ideas for the rest of us. And we're kind of living in that moment where another modern-day Tower of Babel has, been, has, has tried to be put into order. But there are people like you and I who are saying, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't, that's not right. It shouldn't be that way. But we don't always know how to respond. And God gave us this story in Genesis 11 so that we could begin to un- see, the, see the pattern and realize that's the wrong way. Because that's airbrushed out the God of the Bible. And it's elevated the reason of man and The more powerful you are, the more reasonable you are over the masses. In that moment, we have to ask the question, God, what have you done in response to the Tower of Babel? And I just want to turn quickly to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, a lot of waters come under the bridge from that moment in time when the Tower of Babel story occurred to the time when Jesus had landed on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and began to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And in the process, we know he went through his whole three-year ministry, his unjust, unjust death, and then overcoming that through an empty grave. Forty days later, the day of Pentecost happens. And something changes relative to the story I've just told you. Here's what happened. Now, there were Jews reading in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven, those who were scattered. And when this sound occurred, the crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one was hearing them speaking in their own language. And there were, and they were astounded and astonished, saying, Behold, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how do we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians and, 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 and Medes and Elamites and those residing in what was the area where the Tower of Babel was built, Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya towards uh, Cyrene and Romans, and there were, were in town both Jew and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Everybody who was scattered, essentially, is now gathered in this place because they were wanting to be drawn back into the story as God had originally initiated it. And all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to honor that, and I'm going to allow this moment to redefine the rest of humanity. And so what happened was they were speaking in their own languages the great deeds of God and all were amazed and greatly perplexed saying to one another, what can this mean? And as the book of Acts tells us this story, you know, we, we, we read about the, the, the tongues of fire coming down onto each one of them. And we, we're like, how, how, what is that supposed to mean? And we hear people that couldn't previously understand one another begin to comprehend what each other was saying. And God was saying, I'm, re, I'm reuniting the diversity of humanity. 
under one way of life. The way of life that is centered in Jesus. And I'm taking all of those people that I've scattered. And, 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 and God even went so far as to disinherit them. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9, after the fall of the Tower of Babel, if we just back up a little bit, I don't know if you can find that up there or not, Josh, but um, it's got some gray lettering at the top of it, and uh, it's just like this. And it says, it says basically that when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance... When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. What's God saying? I've given the rest of the nations over there. I've disinherited them and given them over to other deities, other beings. And I have just focused exclusively on one group of people, the children of Abraham, the Israelites. Why is God telling you, why am I telling you this? Because God doesn't want to keep that state of affairs going indefinitely. He actually wants to reclaim everything that has been broken. And so that separation that people had from what was later the Hebrew God. God says I'm, I'm bringing them back. And everyone who was there represented a nation that was disinherited. And what God did was when a tongue of fire, whatever that is, came down on a person, it was a way of saying, I am anointing you with the calling to share the good news to that group of people that you came from. You are my designated representative. You are my diplomat to them. And if you looked at Kremi up on the screen, she is one of those individuals where that kind of tongue of fire came down and, and the call was upon her life and said, I want you to go and share with your people what I have done for you through the good news of Jesus Christ. How I've taken the scatteredness of your life or the divided nature of, of, of yourself where you're kind of in one mind one minute and you're in another mind another minute and I've reintegrated you into a person in Jesus and even the people around you the relationships are starting to be restored because the good news is now at work in your life and Kremi has experienced that to such a degree that she sees people living in a scattered and lost and broken state and it is her burden to share what God has given her to her own people and so when God looks at each of our lives, he says, I love you just the way you are. Matter of fact, I died for you and I am profoundly wanting to reconnect with you. And the only thing at this point that's keeping us separate is just you. And your desire to come back into a relationship with me. As God looked at all of those people in that room. And they began to find unity in the diversity of who they were. A new people were created. And you know that's what I love about the church. It's a diverse group of people. Socially, economically, you name it. It's a variety, it's, a, it's just a mishmash and a cross section. Where God says we are all equal in his family. No one is better than the other. There is no pecking order. There is no elite group of people that are up here and the rest of everybody's down here. It is just God 
and Jesus and us. But the only way that it works is for us to put him first. But the problem for many of us is we got a little bit of the Tower of Babel in us where we still kind of want to do it our way. But if you're like me, I've done it my way and I've ended up grounded on the rocks of brokenness. And it just doesn't work without God. I've lived in fear trying to do it my way. And I discovered there's only one safe place on this planet. And you know where it is? It is in Jesus Christ. Having God in your life is the only safe place in this world. Because anything can happen in this world. But when God is in our lives... We solicit his protection. But we know that even in this world, things can happen. And when they do, God says, it's okay because I've overcome this world. And I'm going to a place where it is actually much better. And I want to bring you with me. So it's a win-win any way you slice it. I mean, I'm thinking about my son overseas and I, I don't know what will happen. I'm sure he'll be okay. But the, my, the, pri- the primary concern that I had for him was, are you taking Jesus into that environment with you? And if you are, I'm not worried. Because I know that's the safest place on earth, no matter where you are. And that's also right in this room. There's a lie after lie that's being told that we need to worry, we need to hand wring, it's an unsafe place the world is. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. You should be worried, you should buy this or do that or think this or whatever it is that they're selling you. It's just garbage, people. There's a peace that passes all understanding. It is the peace of Christ Jesus that guards our heart and our mind in every situation. The people built a tower because they were afraid. They exalted themselves because they were insecure. And they wanted to be men of renown. And so one of the culprits that's responsible for the building, his name is Nimrod, and he was somebody who everybody feared because he was that guy who could do it all. And he was saying this, it's not really about me, but it's kind of about me. And that's a game that has been played so long that it's just tired. Scripture says that if anybody is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. If God has set you free, you are free indeed. The writer writer of Hebrews says that Christ came to save us from a spirit of fear so that we may have his peace. But those things are accessed not by TV, not by the internet, not by anything that you read about the world. They're only accessed in places like this where the word of God is being honored And God is being lifted up in worship. And I just wonder, is the lie still grabbing on to you? Or are you ready to believe a new story? A story about hope 
and redemption and peace no matter what. And it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have him in your life? Do you talk to him at every turn? Do you hope in him when things are hopeless? Do you take your despair to him and say, fill me with your joy? Because in all of those things, he's more than able to provide. But you first have to say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. And he's a gentleman. He won't barge his way in. But if you ask, he'll more than, more than happily become a part of every part of your world. This time, it's uh, really a, a call for each of you where you're at in your walk with him. And I know in this room, we're all in different places. But it's a desire that God has to keep us progressing in our growth, in our relationship, in our serving. And maybe it's just in becoming a part of his family. And I want each of those opportunities to happen as a result of what we're sharing today. So if you need to come to know him, please just see me or or one of our leaders or go to the studio afterwards and we'll help you with that. Or if you just need prayer, encouragement along the way, we want to do that as well. So let's just take this time and I want to to pray for everyone and then I'm going to ask the team to come up and help us to focus on him in worship. Father, as we begin this step of faith from a tower that is hopeless to a room full of people that have heard the good news and have become empowered by the good news through your spirit, I pray that we could be a room like that where the Spirit of God would just flow into every life. And the spirit of fear, the spirit of tyranny, the spirit of just human effort without you would just flee from this place and from every life. And in turn, that empty space would be filled with the goodness of your presence through your Holy Spirit. May you just descend upon every life here Speak to us in ways that we need to hear. And help us, Father, in our confusion to find clarity for those things that cause us so much pain and worry. Thank you, Father. I pray that you would bless the words that I've said, that where they fit into your purpose in each life here, that they could be easily remembered. And the things that aren't, just help us to lay them aside for now. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.